Genesis, Genesis 43, it says that, uh, uh, it talks about how his brothers had, had, uh, uh, come back to Egypt and he sees that Benjamin is with them. So he has them sent to the house and they're really quite worried. Why are they going to his house? <clears throat> and Joseph is continuing with this, with this pattern of trying to get their hearts to convert. This is not an easy thing to do. The Lord allows us to go through many things to reveal to us our own hearts. You know, in, in many ways, if you look at the disciples, they, they lived on a, on a razor's edge. If they, if they started getting too proud or something, Jesus was there to correct them. And if they started feeling too low, he was there to lift them up. And they were, this, this, this Christian life is so much like this. It's living on this razor's edge. And he wanted to bring them to a point that they could see their own hearts, where they're going to confess to their sins. And they did confess to their sins among themselves, that they said, this is coming upon us because of the things that we had done. But they also wanted to see their response. He wanted to see their response toward Benjamin. And he wanted to see their care for their father because they had no trouble in the past treating their father terribly poorly by, by lying to him about, about, uh, uh, Joseph and, uh, with very little care and even being false comforters to try to comfort him when they, when they were the ones that had caused all of this. And when they, they had spoken of themselves in, in chapter 42, verse 11, they had spoken of themselves as honest men. They'd spoken of themselves of honest men. So they still had not fully come around. And so he was still moving them into this. This is not an easy thing to do. And the Lord, rather than confronting us all the time directly with our sin, he puts us in situations where, where we are, we have to come to the realization ourselves that, ah, yes, it's not somebody outside that, that these things come upon us. So this is not at all uncommon in the Lord. So we'll pick it up at verse 26 in Genesis chapter 43. When Joseph had come home, they brought into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. Then he asked them about their welfare and said, Is your old father well, of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant our father is well, he is still alive. They bowed down in homage. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And he controlled himself and said, serve the meal. So they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is loathsome to Egyptians. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment and he took portions to them from his own table, took portions to them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So they feasted and drank freely with him. So you see here that he meets them in the house and right away they come and bow down to him again, precisely 
as was prophesied in the dream that Joseph had in chapter 37 of Genesis. There was this dream that he had had. And uh, then he said, he asked, he said, he, he immediately says, he asked them about the wealth, their welfare. So he asks them about their welfare. How are you? This is showing his real concern for them. He is not against them. He is for them. He is kind to them. Sometimes we perceive God as being mean to us. He's not mean to us. He's never mean to us. He does things that we might not understand to get at something in our own hearts. It's not that he wants to discern what's really in our hearts. He already knows. He wants us to discern it. He wants us to see it. He asks them of their welfare. And he said, is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? Because the last time they reported to him, four or six months earlier, they had reported to him that their father was alive. And so he wants to know, is he still alive? Because, because at this point, uh, he, he's, he's probably somewhere around 100, 130. They said, your servant, our father, is well. Your servant, our father. In that they now say, our father is your servant, this is as if, as if uh, um, uh, Jacob had told his sons to refer to him as the servant. And uh, uh, he says, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. They bowed down and did homage. In that he says, they, the sons say, your servant, our father. And then they bow down. This is now Jacob also bowing down according to the dream in chapter 37, verses 9 and 10. Uh, and embodied within Jacob is also his wife because of the, the, the way the authority runs. Now, Jacob, when he appears to his, before his son, he never bows down, and he shouldn't. This is his son. But here is where that dream is fulfilled, right here, embodied in this verse. And as he lifts up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? All right, so he says, as he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? He is now seeing his brother. Uh, uh, his brother is now at the age of 33. The last time he saw his brother, his brother was 11 years old. Remember, he's six years older than his brother. And this, he, this is a very sensitive thing because his brother, it was during in childbirth that, that, his, his, that, that, that uh, Benjamin and Joseph's mother died. So, so uh, uh, when Rachel died, uh, she died in childbirth, and this child is born. So every time you look at this child, it's no doubt you're going to think of his mother as well. And he was 11 years old the last time. So he was 11, and uh, uh, Joseph was 17 when he was kidnapped. So there was this six-year difference behind, between them. And remember, Joseph was only six years old when his mother died, so he had no more motherly protection around him. And he had these ten older brothers that disliked him a lot. And remember, there had been a lot of conflict between Rachel and, and especially Leah. And so, so this, these two kids bore the brunt of this together. And he was probably, Joseph was probably very protective of his younger brother. And now he sees them and he says, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? 
And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. May God be gracious to you, my son. You see this compassion that he has. And this is not, again, this is not a bunch of platitudes. He says, May God be gracious to you, my son. When he takes the name of God and he puts it in there, this is the thing that his brothers would never use. They were never using the name of God. His father did. His father would pray and use the name of God. Here, he says, May God be gracious to you, my son. So at this time, Joseph is 39. Benjamin is 33. He calls him my son. And, uh, uh, and he says, May God be gracious to you. And it says, And Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. So he just had to get out of there because he's, he's in the midst of this ploy. And now he sees his brother. He sees his brother and uh, um, he speaks to him. He says, may God be gracious to you, my son. And it was because of his brother, because of his seeing his brother, it was just, just overwhelmed him. And we can imagine how that would be an overwhelming thing, not seeing his brother for all of these years, from age 11 to now age 33. Finally, he sees his brother after these 22 years. And uh, uh, he hurries out and he finds a place to weep because he's got to continue with this ploy because he's got to draw out of these 10 brothers, the 10 older brothers, he's got to draw them to this place of confession and he's got to find out, do they really care for Benjamin? And he's got to find out, do they really care for his father now? Have they changed? And they need to see, have they changed? This is as much... For, for, for them as it is for Joseph to understand about them. God allows us to go thing, through things so that we can see what's in our own hearts. So it says, uh, but Joseph hurried out for he was deeply stirred over his brother and he sought a place to weep and entered his chamber. Then he washed his face and he came out and he controlled himself and he said, serve the meal. So they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. So even with Joseph's high place in Egypt, his Egyptian servants, it was loathsome for them to eat with Joseph. Now he could have forced them to, but he didn't want to put them in a position that disgusted them. And it is good, it is good to be sensitive to others, uh, um, to, to others' customs. And he let them eat by themselves. But just think about this. Here he is, his house is, is, is one with Pharaoh's house because we're going to see in the next chapter when he ends up weeping loudly, Pharaoh's household heard him. So it wasn't like it was far away. They must have been absolutely connected. And here he is, he has to eat all alone. Here he is, second in command of all of Egypt, and he has to eat all alone. Have you ever felt like, you know, you're, 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 you're kind of alone in your place because of, because of uh, uh, persecutions that may come to you at work because of your Christian stance? I'll tell you, it has certainly come to me. I mean, it hurts me sometimes, the, the things that are said, the things that, that, that people come and tell me that people have said. They don't generally say it to my face, the way I'm viewed. I mean, it certainly hurts. And I have to continue to reflect back. This has happened over and over again with God's people. Think about Jesus when he is 
when he is uh, uh, being scourged, they put a crown of thorns on him and they come and they start beating him over the head with reeds and they start bowing down to him and mocking him in a mocking way. This is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus said, if they do this, if they say these things to me, the Master and Lord, how much will they do to you? How much will they do to you? So Jesus warned us about this. And we can have our little pity parties, but it's not going to do us any good. This is what we are called to. This is the lot that God has for us when we are in Him. And this will not destroy us if we continue to walk with Him. It will not destroy us unless we allow it to destroy us. I mean, if you think of the servants of God and the things that they've gone through, Moses walked 40 years in Pharaoh's house and the next 40 years he spent in the wilderness because of his his being supportive of the Jewish people. Uh, 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 Jeremiah was thrown in a pit, such a great and dignified prophet, thrown in a muddy pit. What people went through, Joseph, because of his witness, because of the testimony of, of the things that God was speaking to him, things happened to him where he was sold into slavery and then put in prison. How much more to us? Jesus has warned us about this. This man has to sit alone. You know, it's not easy to sit alone and eat. I'm sure, you know, you students on campus have had that. When If, if people are all eating together and you have to sit alone, this is not you're choosing to sit alone. This is, you have to sit alone because people don't want to be with you. This is not an easy thing. And so for all these years, there's been seven years of, of, of abundance, two years of famine. So for nine years, though he's there in this house as a leader in this house, he has to eat alone. So he's used to this. This has happened all the time for him. So because he has to carry out this ploy, he's sitting alone, the Egyptians, and he allows his servants to eat at the same time. I mean, he's, he's ruling over all of Egypt. He could make it so, no, you guys don't sit alone. When I'm eating, if you guys don't want to sit with me, you go stand over there, but you don't eat. No, he allowed them to sit and eat at the same time. This is a gracious man. Joseph was a gracious man. And then he has his brothers sitting over there by themselves because he had to put on the, the facade of being an Egyptian and separated from them. And so, so uh, uh, he has been through this. Have you been through discrimination? Joseph has gone through discrimination. He's seen this. This has happened to him. It's happened to him his whole life. He's been treated like an outcast by his ten older brothers. He had no mother to protect him from the time he was six years old, which is a really vulnerable age to have ten older brothers and uh, without, without this, this mother to protect you from them. And uh, you say, well, his father was there to protect him. He wasn't, he wasn't. I mean, it says that, Joseph, that Jacob was in the field all the time. I mean, fathers, fathers don't have as good a view over what's going on around the household. And, uh, uh, and so he's under these stepmothers and... Uh, uh, this has been his whole life. This is the lot that he has for us. We can't, we can't say, well, th- why is this happening to me? This is expected. Jesus told us this would happen. He told us again and again, Jesus was rejected by his own people. All of his disciples fled from him. His disciples, his dearest of friends to whom he had poured out three and a half years of his life, they all left him at the foot of the cross. Only one eventually came back, which was John. And it's interesting that John, John is the only one who did not have to die as a martyr with a martyr's death. He was banished to the island of Patmos and he probably died there, but he didn't die the martyr's death. The others were 
in their martyr's death, were proving their allegiance to Jesus. Something that John had already shown by coming back. And then it says, And they were seated before him, the firstborn according to, uh, the, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. So you see here that, that he has them seated according to their age. How could he know that? They're like, how does he know? Because all of these brothers, I mean, remember, there were four different wives and they're all being born right about the same time, one after another after another. Nobody can look at these men all in their 40s now and discern which one of the, but he had them all set up. And it says, and he took portions to them from his own table. He took portions to them from his own table. You see the grace. He's taking portions from his own table saying, hey, my servants gave me the, the best cut here. I want you to have it. He's bringing it to them. He's taking portions from his own table. You see the kindness of God. He takes portions from his own table and gives it to us. That's what my Jesus does. He takes portions from his own table and he gives them to us. This is what Jesus does. From his own table, he gives to us. He is so good and so gracious. This is what a loving father does. He sees his kids are enjoying something. He takes it from his own portions and he gives it to his children. I mean, a, a stingy father would just see his children with, with nothing and just gobble down the father's own food. No, he stops. He takes portions from his own plate. He gives it to his children. This is what a loving father does. This is who Joseph is. This is who Jesus is. He takes portions and he gives it to us. He is so kind and so gracious. He took portions to them from his own table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So, the fe so they feasted and drank freely with him. So if he gave a, a slice of meat to each one of the brothers, he gave five slices to Benjamin. This was part of the ploy. He wanted to show extra attention to Benjamin to see if his brothers became jealous of him as they were jealous of Joseph. They wanted to see if, 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 they, if, he, if he wanted to see would they treat him. And he wanted them to see their own hearts. Had their own hearts changed? He wanted them to see it. And it says they... They feasted. Remember, this is in a time, this is in a time of famine. The famine has been on the land for two years. This is probably the first time they had feasted in over two years. And, uh, um, uh, because there, there was this, this famine going on. They feasted and they drank freely. They had not experienced this in so long. Does God really do this? Does He put us through things like this? I want you to turn to John chapter 11. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And in John, chapter 11, Jesus, Jesus heals, uh, uh, He raises Lazarus, His friend Lazarus, from the dead. But, but what's interesting about this portion is that, is that the Jews had tried to kill Him at the end of chapter, at the end of chapter 10. And as a result, He leaves Jerusalem and He goes down by the Jordan River, by where John was last baptizing. That's it. It, it was first baptizing in verse 40 of chapter 10 of John. It says, and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing and he was staying there because it said in verse 39 that they were trying to seize him to kill him. So Jesus goes, it's about 20 to 25 miles away from, from uh, uh, Jerusalem. So he walks downhill. It's all downhill from Jerusalem down to the, down to the Jordan. And so it's 20 to 25 miles, which is 
a long day's walk or a couple of days more relaxed walk. But a long day's walk, you could get there. And, and, and then in chapter 11, it says, Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But Jesus, when he heard this, he he said, the sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Okay, so remember, he's just a day's journey away. You could walk the 20 to 25 miles in one day. It'd be uphill, but Jesus is a young man. He's, he's in his 30s. He could easily walk this in a day, and those guys walk walked all the time. If you go to Israel today, they walk a lot. They walk a lot more than we do here in Houston. I don't know what part of the world you live in right now, but they walk a lot more than we do here in general. And you go to Israel and the people walk a lot and they're just used to it. And it takes you, you know, several days to begin to, to get in the same mode with them of, of how much they will walk. And, and uh, uh, so they walk everywhere in those days. And this 20, 25 miles is no problem for them, even though uphill. And uh, uh, it says, it says very clearly, Jesus said, in, in verse 4, so that the Son of God may be glorified. God is going to be glorified in this by revealing to people their own hearts and He is going to be glorified in this. When God reveals to us our own hearts, we are, through our own hearts, God is glorified in the process of this. And it says in verse 3, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick, meaning Lazarus is sick whom you love. And again, it's said again, in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. The very next verse. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now they are in Bethany. Bethany is just two miles from Jerusalem. So when you walk to Jerusalem, you're essentially in Bethany. You just go down into the valley, up the Mount of Olives, and halfway down the other slope. You are It's under two miles from, from Jerusalem to, to Bethany. So... He could easily have been there in a day. But because he loved them, he waited two more days for Lazarus to die. Because he loved them. Because Jesus loves us, he waits. Because Jesus loves us, he waits. And he waited and then Lazarus ends up dying. Jesus knows this. In verse 13, he says, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep because Jesus had said in verse 11, Lazarus sleeps, which is code word in the New Testament. Anytime a believer in Jesus died, a believer or a faithful one, they died, they, they referred to as sleeping because it's temporary. It's not permanent. But his, his disciples didn't understand. Uh, uh, and so in verse 14, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe, but let, let us go to him. I am glad for your sake that I was not there. I am glad that Lazarus is dead. I am glad he died. I'm glad I wasn't there to heal him of his sickness. 
I mean, those are such cruel sounding words. I mean, God does a lot of things that to us sound cruel. But he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he goes there and, and uh, Martha runs up to him in verse 21. So remember, he now has to walk for an entire day or say at least six hours if you're, if you're walking fast. So Martha then says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, you could have prevented this. You could have prevented this. So she really believes Jesus could have prevented this. Then it is in this context we get these amazing words, which are amazing words of hope for anybody who in Christ perishes. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I mean, think about these words. These are the words you need to mark down and hold on to. So when you lose a loved one who's in Christ, remember these words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Then Jesus says, do you believe this? Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And uh, um, this, these, are, these are amazing words. Amazing words. We only have this because Jesus waited two days. We only have these amazing words that bring comfort when anyone in Christ is lost because Jesus waited two days. And then... And then uh, uh, then the other sister comes running out. So, so, so Mary comes running out in verse 32. And she says, Therefore, when Mary came to Jesus, she saw him and she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Huh? This is the same word that was said by Martha in verse 21. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's like the talking point. Not in a negative way talking point, but this is probably what they had been saying amongst them. If, if, if the Lord had been there, our brother would not have died. They would probably have been saying this over and over again in their house. So they both say this to him separately. The exact same words. This was their literal talking point. And they present this to him. And then uh, 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 Jesus says to them, where have you laid him? And now, now look at this in, in verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why is Jesus weeping? Why does he have to weep? He knows that in 10 minutes he's going to raise this guy to life. Why is he weeping? Why should he be weeping? Because when we weep, he weeps. He sees them weeping. He sees their pain. He sees the pain that they are going through and even the pain that he allowed them to go through and it pains him. And parents know this pain. Parents know that there are times that they have to discipline their children and they don't, it's not like, oh yes, I get to spank you today. No, it's not that. I mean, just... It tears you up. When I have to bring some disciplinary action upon 
students even for cheating on exams and have to send that to the honors council. I never like it. That is, that is the worst thing, the worst part of my job when I have to report in some disciplinary action some students. I mean, that's the worst thing. I hate to have to do that. And, and, uh, um, and, and this is exactly what happens with Jesus when we are going through things that he allows in our life for us to see what our own hearts are like. He already knows. He already knows what our response is going to be. But we don't know. We misjudge ourselves. These men, Joseph's brothers, they said, we are honest men. We're honest men. That's how they characterize themselves, as honest men. They had to have their own hearts exposed to them. He allows our hearts to be exposed to us, but he doesn't delight in this. When we are in pain, he is in pain with us. What are you going through? He is in pain with you. Jesus wept. And then he goes and he says in verse 42, as he's praying, and we'll pick it up in verse 41, Jesus ra- then he, Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because the people standing around, because, but because of the people standing around, I said it. So that they may believe that you sent me. I am saying this because of the people standing around. I'm teaching the people stand through this. All these people who are here are going to experience the power of God. I am allowing this so that all of these people are going to experience the power of God. And they're going to know that you sent me. Verse 43. So when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But when some of them went to the Pharisees, they told them the things which Jesus had done. They believed in him as a result. When we go through things, we believe in him all the more as a result. When we go through things. When we go through things, we believe all the more. This is what's happening. This is the lot that we have in life. This is part of Christian life. This is what's before us. Whatever you're going through, if you do not know the Lord, I urge you this day, come to the Lord. Just send me an email to tour at rice.edu. I will meet with you. I'll set aside an hour to have a Zoom conversation with you. And you will come to the Lord that very same day. If you don't know the Lord, you can't, you, you can't understand these things. Once you know the Lord, you have the power to understand, but it doesn't lessen the blows. It doesn't lessen the things that come upon you in life. We all experience these things because God, through this, reveals to us our own hearts so that all of a sudden we can wake up and see that who we really are, that we're not quite what we thought that we are. And then through this, He gives us strength and the ability to help others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all your mercies. Thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness and your grace. Lord, you are so good. Thank you, Lord, for all of your kindness and for all of your grace. Your kindness and your grace abound, O Lord. Your kindness and your grace abound. Father, I pray for those on this call that are going through things. 
that they would look up to you and to say, Lord, you are righteous and good. And as you reveal their own hearts to them, Lord, I pray that they would be receptive to understand and to know the things that are coming. Lord, I pray for your grace to be upon their lives. And Lord, for those that do not know you, those that view you as being mean and hard, Father, I pray that they would see that in everything your hand is gracious, that Lord Jesus, you take from your own table and you give to us richly, that they would see that you weep when we go through pain, that you weep with us. Lord Jesus, I pray thee, have mercy upon these young people. For the glory of Jesus and in his name, amen.